According to biblical theology, we live in a supernatural world. Surrounding us on all sides in the unseen realm lie unspeakable horrors. Spirit beings, demons, and much more that we can't even understand with our human eyes. We're not made to see them, but we know they're there. The Bible is not the only place it talks about them. Every single culture worldwide since the beginning of time itself had legends about supernatural entities, beings, and things that live just out of our sight. But there's one thing that's unique about the stories in the Bible about these supernatural entities. And that is that we, Christians, believers in Christ, have authority over all of them. They can't touch us, they can't harm us, they can't come near us because they're scared of us. When they see us, they tremble in fear. Now, what I'm about to read to you today are stories from the Navajo Nation about one such supernatural entity called the Skinwalker. You've probably heard of the Skinwalker before, but this gets in deep and tells some really creepy stories about it. Stories that you probably never even heard before. So, here we go. Skinwalkers, shards linger. So I found this book, Skinwalker, Shards Linger. From what I hear, it's a pretty uh, rare book. And what it is, is it's a series of true stories from the Navajo Reservation that deal with skinwalkers and their relation to unidentified flying objects. The pictures of the UFOs were taken by the author and are verified by Dominic Mancini of MUFON, which is the Mutual UFO Network. All right, let's check it out. Skinwalkers, Shards Linger. August 9th, 2013. This is part of a porcupine quill. You see there, there's a uh, porcupine quill, a picture of it with a ruler to show you how long it is. The skinwalker fills the hollow portion with neurotoxins, with neurotoxin-based materials and or tainted blood, or a mixture of what I call mummy powder. It is then placed in a blowgun and fired at unsuspecting people. This dart narrowly missed one of the members of our party, embedding instead into his tent material. J.C. Johnson, CEO and president of Crypto Four Corners. Prologue. Chatting with J.C. Johnson online, I was stunned by the amount of curiosity and lack of knowledge some had concerning skinwalkers. Comments ranged from shoot them to knife them. But no one seems to understand that these creatures were black witchcraft in origin. One cannot simply kill them or shoot them or stab them. Naive, yes. I did not grow up on the Navajo Reservation, and so I had no knowledge of just how powerful these creatures really are. I did not set out to study skinwalkers. And the Navajo say if one talks about them, they will come. If one laughs about their power, they will come. But one other phenomenon brings them to a community, and I do not know the connection unidentified flying objects or UFOs. UFOs and skinwalkers are connected. And I don't know if I delve deeper into this, I could solve it. I no longer live on the Navajo reservation. I live on the Crow reservation in Montana, a much more peaceful and beautiful place with very little perceived witchcraft. While I am sure it exists here, it is much more hidden and taboo than on the Navajo reservation. I left the Navajo Reservation after seeing a series of UFO-type objects from our ranch in Greasewood, Arizona. On a side note, I am in the Four Corners area right now. That's where I live. Uh, I don't want to give the exact place of where I live, but I do live in the Four Corners. And um, let's just say the reservation is probably 15, maybe 10, 15 minutes away from me. So 
this thing that we're talking about could affect me. Theoretically, I detail in this account of the culmination of events that lead to my demise. I also include some included stories from former students and friends to show how widespread the Skinwalker influence is on the Navajo reservation. What is a Skinwalker? It's a shapeshifter. It's like a werewolf. Medicine men tell me that a gifted Skinwalker can assume the shape of any animal provided a man or woman has the skin of the animal. The most common is a wolf, and the formation of the Skinwalker is half man, half wolf, or even all wolf, I've seen both. I am no expert, and I have almost been killed by skinwalkers on two separate occasions. The Navajo make what is called bitter medicine. It will stave off the effects of a skinwalker. A good medicine man is really the only way to cleanse oneself of all evil. There are other ways to deal with the witchcraft, which are reflected on your own personal beliefs and faith, but that is individual in nature, and I only speak one-on-one. -on -one. The pictures in this book are marginal at best. Please refer to the website for better pictures. And that is oldironadventure.com. If you guys are interested, check it out, I guess. I haven't seen it, so I can't vouch for it. All right. Chapter one, Shards Linger. In every culture, you'll have tales of the supernatural, from the Navajo skinwalkers to the crow little people, some benevolent and some downright terrifying. I've experienced both. There's so much more to our world than we can see or perceive. I've woke up in the Navajo reservation to drums under my house, and I've seen an old man and his drum come through the floor and assure me everything is good. I've had waking dreams that seemed so real that I too felt a lot, felt buried alive like the people who once lived in Greasewood, Arizona. I've seen and photographed UFOs, and my life changed drastically after the sighting. One evening in Greasewood, Arizona, I went to feed our horses on the ranch where I lived. I heard old Navajo songs being sung, and I thought it was odd since it was coming on the evening and the sun was just setting. I did not see anyone, and I went back to the house and asked Mary to come and translate. By the time we returned to the horses, the song gave way to a chant. Mary translated from Navajo to English, an old curse on our horses and property. Being the native white guy, I climbed the horses' panels and gave my own challenge in English to whomever, to whomever was cursing us. That's crazy, right? So he was out with his horses and he heard some Navajo music. He went and got his wife. She went and translated it and said, somebody's cursing you. So what did he do? He jumped on the horse barn and challenged the, per the people that were cursing him. They, he challenged them. Let's see what happens. I cussed them and told them to show themselves because they were chicken shit in my book. And the Navajo singers needed to face me man to man. I had my 38 revolver in hand. 38's kind of small, side note. I'd have something a little bit bigger, you know? And up out of the ground came two half-men, half-wolves, fiery-eyed beasts. That's crazy. So he saw two beings that were half-man, half-wolves with fire in their eyes rise out of the ground. I have never seen eyes that glowed as fire as they came towards me to confront me. I brought my 38 revolver up and squeezed off all six rounds. Click, 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 click. Not one chamber fired. Just like that, they were gone, and I was over the fence giving chase. Not a sign, just gone. Skinwalkers terrifying, and yet so real. I fired the old 38 revolver the next day without a problem. We had a ceremony done for the property and the horses and brought everything back to center, but the fire in their eyes still lingered in my soul. Chapter 2 Out in the garage one evening on the Navajo Reservation, a large rabid dog came up in the driveway came up in the driveway in the blowing snow and growled. 
It came into the garage, and I told Haas, our lab, and Mojo, our German Shepherd, to chase it out. Well, there's your first mistake. You don't tell your healthy dogs to attack a rabid dog. You have them go inside, and then you go inside too, so you're safe from the thing. And then from there, you can come up with a plan, right? So you don't confront a rabid dog. Anything with rabies, you don't want to confront the thing because it's a zombie, basically. I told Hossar Lab and Mojo, the German Shepherd, to chase it out. They turned and went to the door crying. Uh, so yeah, the dogs didn't want to chase the thing. I don't blame those dogs. I put them in the house and I grabbed a two, two by four and I hit the dog and the head with it hard. I killed the dog dead, dead. I scooped it up and wrapped it in a towel and drug it outside to the snow. I walked to the house and told Mary what happened. I was going to dispose of the dog. I walked back outside. There was no dog. No towel, no tracks, nothing. I looked around the house, nothing. It was gone. The next day I became deathly ill. I could not keep anything inside me and I was curled in a fetal ball in bed when Mary came home from work. She said I had to go see Mr. Bigay because he is a blind medicine man and he knew how to heal me. I said, no, I don't believe in that voodoo hocus pocus. He declined. She talked to the neighbor Billy and decided to Go have a prayer done. They drove about a half hour to the medicine man's hogan. Upon entering there, asked, Where is your man if he does not come tonight? He will be dead in the morning. They drove back home. They drove back to our home and Billy wrapped me in a blanket. They carried me to his Nissan Pathfinder. He and his wife and his son took me back outside to the medicine man's hogan. I remember entering and being very cold and just wanting to die. We sat in a circle fire around. We sat in a circle around a fire, and he proceeded to ask me, to which I incoherently replied. He began grinding different herbs and powders together and finally gave them to me to chew. He said, chew these while I pray. I remember chewing and thinking and chewing and thinking, is this guy ever going to get done with this prayer? I had a foam coming out of my mouth, down my chin, where he finally finished. I swallowed and blinked, and I could not figure out why I was sitting wrapped in blankets in his hold on, hogan. Wrapped in blankets in his hogan. I was healed. I stood up and I shook myself and then I remembered Mr. Bigay. Our medicine man smiled and asked Billy if I was his son. I said that his son was scared to come because, because of the bad man that was riding in the back of the SUV had followed his uncle into the hogan. Mr. Bigay explained that the dog I killed was a skinwalker, and when I hit the dog's head, the dead bones of the person he had ground up to enter the dog released into my face and lungs. I was fine afterwards, and now I understand that there is a place for medicine man in my life. I spent many hours and days studying Navajo medicine with Mr. Bigay and understand his true power. Chapter 3, Corpse Powder. Coming on dusk and horses to feed. Mary is tired from teaching all day, so I take our big lab hoss, and headed out to the horses. I checked the stove to make sure that a good fire was going and walk out closing the door behind me. I walk about 30 yards and Haas barks with his warning bark and turns around full speed headed back to the house. When your dog barks and runs away, I think you should follow him, right? <laughs> the front door is wide open and he runs into the house. Not feeling his urgency, I'm just walking back to the house. I see the door was wide open and I know something is wrong. I come home and enter our bedroom where Mary is laying down. She was groaning and withering on the bed. 
our faithful lab sitting at her feet growling. I hear the skittering of claws on the hardwood floor. Behind the door opens and slams close. A chill goes up my body like no other. I look at Mary and see that she has white dust powder all around her nose. I know what had broken into our home and what the dust is. Corpse powder. Ground bones of a dead human being mixed with herbs and psychotropic drugs. I grab a washcloth and hot water and clean around her nose and flush her nose with water. The skinwalker had entered our home and blown corpse powder into her mind. Now it's just a matter of time. Would it kill her? Or... I sat up all night praying, burning cedar, giving bitter medicine, and hoping that she would come out of the comatose state that she had lapsed into. And my prayers were answered. I knew the skinwalker was waiting outside, listening, hoping, and praying to his evil god. As she struggled up and asked for water at dawn, the skinwalker jumped from the pile of firewood outside our home, knocking it over. Giving her water, I asked how she felt. She said, it's, 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 she said it was if she was in a waking dream. And all night she was trying to come back and see me, but she wasn't able to talk to me. It's like she was in another dimension. She slept most of the day, and, and during that evening, I took her to see the medicine man to bring her back into harmony. Mr. Begay worked all night on her and brought her back into her right mind. Now, I need to inject that there are medicine men and there are, quote, medicine men and medicine men. Some are fake and some are real. I was talking to a man in Pinion, Arizona one day about the medicine men, and he told me a great way to find a real medicine man is simple. If the man has set prices for everything and he's charging big money for healing, chances are he's fake. Well, yeah, that's, that's a given, you know. Scammers are trying to make money, right? I guess there's scammers in every religion, every culture, and every country worldwide. People are trying to scam you. He told me the way to find a real medicine man is simple. If the medicine man says, just give me what you can, he's a real medicine man. Chapter 4. Skinwalker Photo. 1999. I'm living in Pinion, Arizona on the Navajo Reservation, and really pretty naive to the ways of witchcraft. My good friend would stop for lunch every day and regale me with stories about the reservation. Danny Henson, a good Mormon man, had been driving a UPS on the Navajo Reservation for 30-odd years. We had joked about witchcraft, and neither of us really believed anything of the sort. I had heard some pretty scary stories in my students' journals, but have to admit, I did not believe. Henson fishes out his digital camera and says, Funny thing happened to me today near Black Mesa. And I saw the most beautiful wolves on the side of the road. Wolves? Here's the thing. As I said before, I live in the Four Corners area. There are no wolves out here. Now, there are coyotes. I've seen coyotes. Coyotes all over the place. And I've heard coyotes. But coyotes and wolves are different, obviously. They might look similar. But wolves are probably a lot bigger. Coyotes can tend to be pretty small. Wolves are pretty large. And um, yeah, so wolves don't exist around here. Now, if you see a wolf and you know for a fact that it's not a coyote, you know something's wrong. I grabbed my camera and took a picture. They were the most well-groomed wolves I had ever seen. Funny thing is, I got to Forest Lake and the same two wolves were sitting on the side of the road. I stopped to take a picture of them. It looked like they were smiling at the camera. 
And I was thinking this could not be the same two wolves because I drove 55 miles an hour for a good 25 miles. And obviously wolves can't go that fast. He lends me the camera and tells me to take a look. I turn the camera and scroll through the pictures of grass and sagebrush on the side of the road. I look at Henson and say, good one, you got me. He looks flustered and says, what? I hand him the camera and he's flabbergasted. He swears to this day that he took four pictures of two wolves 25 miles apart. We both now know he took a picture of skinwalkers. So in this story, the Mormon man was driving. He saw wolves on the side of the road and he was taking pictures of them. And he saw them 25 miles apart while driving 55 in his UPS truck. And when he goes to look at the camera, the pictures aren't there. They don't exist. So what happened to the pictures, right? Interesting. Chapter five. I'm reading my students' journals around Halloween 1999, Pinion High School, Arizona, on the res. My assignment was to write a spooky story, a spooky story, for my creative writing class. I had about 28 students. And most of all the stories are not scary. Theme and variations of putting a bag of horse poop on the front steps of the neighbor, lighting on fire, tipping over outhouses. I know they love to laugh. Typical high school kids stuff, right? I'm surprised they didn't talk about cow tipping. You guys know about cow tipping? I have a couple of hardcore gangbanger types in my class, and one writes a story that floored me. He started out talking about how he was a bad seed and the reason why he was bad. He had been to Juvie in the bad boy's home of Tuba City, Arizona. And he was part of a hardcore gang on the Reds called the Red Nation Warriors. The story he told me about his mother when he was just four or five years old. She was a Glani, Navajo professional alcoholic beggar. And she was hitchhiking back from Chinelli, Arizona to Pinion, Arizona. A couple of men picked her up and took her back to their Hogan. They were brothers and they had pit and a trap door in their Hogan. There, they locked her down in the dark pit and kept her for three days, starving and drying out from the booze. On the third night, they brought her up and told her they would either kill her or she can choose a child of her own to kill and become like them, a skinwalker. She chose to kill her daughter and become a skinwalker because she loved her son. That's crazy. They took her back home. And she told the young man what she was about to do and how she chose to do it. And she also told him that she picked her daughter to kill because she loved him so much. How sweet. He never saw the two-year-old sister again. Crazy. His mother changed. While she did not drink, she began to live out in the Black Mesa with the family that originally abducted her. He lost contact with her by high school and was living with his grandma. He said that she could not live with the choice she had made ever since she had been tortured by guilt. He felt responsible for the death of his sister and he ended up in prison. I lost track of him, but his story lived on in my memory. According to the University of Nevada in Las Vegas, anthropologist Dan Bisnick, who specializes in the studies of Native Americans in the Southwest, he says, quote, skinwalkers are pure evil in intent. I am no expert on it, but in general, the view is that the skinwalkers do all sorts of terrible things. They make people sick, they commit murders, and they are grave robbers and necrophiliacs. To me, that sounds like the uh, Gerasene demoniac, huh? And we all know Jesus cast that demon right out of that guy like it was nothing. The demon was terrified when he saw Jesus. I bet the same thing could happen with the skinwalker. 
They are grave robbers and they are necrophiliacs. They are greedy and evil people who must kill a sibling or other relatives to be initiated as a skinwalker. They supposedly can turn into were-animals and travel in supernatural ways, end quote. Chapter 6, Navajo Witchcraft Law Did you know that on the Navajo Reservation it is legal to kill a skinwalker? And there is a legal precedent that deals with witchcraft. Interesting. A good friend of mine who is a very well-respected lawyer and graduated from an Ivy League school related this tale for me early in his career on the Navajo Reservation. Being ex-military and an officer gives this story interesting credibility. The lawyer and his paralegal are driving home one evening from a brutal land dispute and decide to go up over the Chuska mountain range to return to Window Rock. As they were driving their Chevy Chevette, the paralegal notices a hairy man running next to the car at 55 miles an hour. All of a sudden, the man leaps in one motion and lands on the car's front hood. The lawyer screeches to a halt and a skinwalker hops off and continues to run next to the car. The skinwalker had done the deed and it now fades away. The next morning, the Chevette would not start. The lawyer had his, has it towed to Gallup, where the mechanic can find nothing wrong. He gets, the, he gets the Chevette running, and the lawyer picks it up, back to Window Rock, and yep, it dies again. This scenario repeats over the next few... I think it dies because it's a Chevy Chevette, right? <laughs> That's not a car I would like to be driving through the desert. No way, no way, no how. Anyway... The scenario repeats itself over the next few weeks until finally the attorney realizes that the vehicle had been witchcrafted by the skinwalker. He trades it in for a Jaguar. A Jaguar? So going from a Chevette to a Jaguar? That's a pretty big upgrade. I guess, I mean, an Ivy League educated lawyer, he could probably afford it, right? Anyway, the attorney told me his story and he told me to look up the following case. He said, as a young attorney in the mid-70s, he worked in a legal aid program near Granado, Arizona. Many, if not most of his clients were Navajo. His legal confrontation with a witch occurred in a dispute over child custody and financial support. His client, a Navajo woman who lived on the reservation with her son, was asking for full custody rights and back child support payments from her estranged husband, an Apache man. At one point during the legal wranglings, the husband got permission to take the son out for an evening, but he did not return with the boy till the next day. The son later told his mother what had transpired that night. According to the son, he spent the night with his father, a quote, medicine man, and they built a fire atop a cliff. And for many hours, the medicine man performed ceremonies, songs, and incantations around the fire. As dawn broke, the three traveled into a wooded area near a cemetery where they dug a hole. Into the hole, the medicine man just deposited two dolls made of wood. One of the dolls was made of dark wood and the other one light wood as if the two dolls were meant to represent mother and the lawyer. Although the lawyer wasn't sure how to take this news, he recognized that it certainly doesn't sound good. So he sought the advice of a Navajo professor at a nearby community college. He told me the ceremony I had described was a very powerful and very serious ceremony, and that it meant that he was supposed to end up buried in that cemetery. He also said that a witch can perform this type of ceremony only four times in his life. Because if he tries more than that, the curse would come back on the witch himself. He also told me that if the intended victim found out about it, the curse would come back onto the person who requested it. The lawyer thought about a way to tell the husband that he found out about the ceremony. So he filled court papers and requested an injunction against the husband and the unknown medicine man 
who he described in the court case as John Doe, a witch. The motion described in great detail the alleged ceremony. So this was a legal filing in court describing the witchcraft, the ceremony, the intended outcome of this ceremony. Pretty interesting. The opposing attorney appeared extremely upset by the motion, as did the husband and the presiding judge. The opposing lawyer had argued to the court that the medicine man had performed a blessing way ceremony, not a curse. But the lawyer knew the judge, who was Navajo. He could distinguish between a blessing ceremony and a curse. The blessing ceremony takes place inside of a Navajo hogan, not on the top of the cliff in the middle of the night, around a fire. He said it was obviously a darker ceremony involving look-alike dolls placed in the woods near a cemetery. The judge nodded in agreement when the lawyer responded. Before the judge could rule, however, the lawyer requested a recess so that the significance of this legal motion could sink in. The next day, the husband capitulated by agreeing to grant total custody to the mother and pay back all child support. So he knew. He knew. He knew he was found out, and he knew that that magic was coming back around on him. It's just plain physics. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. I took it very seriously because he took it seriously, the lawyer said. I learned early on that witches will do things themselves to assist the supernatural. And I knew what that might mean. Chapter 8. MUFON Beginning in June 2010, I started to notice an odd light at 9.46 in the evening. It appeared to be descending onto what is locally known as Satan's Butte. Satan's Butte. Have you watched the show, The Beyond Skinwalker Ranch? I'm pretty sure that they investigated that area on that show recently and had um, come to the conclusion that there is definitely some portals being opened there on Satan's Butte. No wonder why they call it Satan's Butte, right? Anyway. The local Navajo have tales about large snakes that live on top of the butte and ancient rituals that were performed around a huge fire. The snake would emerge from a hole and wishes were granted to the supplicants. If cows or sheep wandered into the vicinity, they were just left to the butte. Knowing this and having heard stories from local Navajo ranchers about a craft that was seen, about a craft that was seen entering the crater inside Satan's butte. Again, just like Skinwalker Ranch, there are crafts being seen flying in and out of the mesa there. There are crafts being seen flying in and out of all these different rock formations all around that area and also in the Four Corners area where I'm recording this right now. What does that tell you? That's for another video. I was curious but dismissed the stories as local folklore. On June 2nd, I rushed into the house and told my wife that I had seen something descending into Satan's butte. She rolled her eyes and asked when she could call the men with white jackets to come take me away. I swore I saw something that appeared to be cylindrical. It had flashing red lights in the middle. Two nights later, I rushed into the house and told her to look out because it was descending again. She was not quick enough and she missed the craft. By this time, the wife really thought I had flipped out or I was drinking. Then I told her I was going to Flagstaff to Best Buy to buy a good camera so I could photograph, so I can photograph it next time. I bought a good digital Nikon. Having bought the Nikon, I waited and waited. It was around 9 p.m. and I walked outside to check the horses, which were in the corral about 50 yards from the house. Something was spooking them. I looked across the corral and saw a misty, silvery cigar-shaped object, a cigar-shaped object around eight feet long and three feet wide. So pretty small, eight feet long. That's like a little bit smaller than me. 
Three feet wide? I mean, I don't even know. That's like the size of a person. I mean, eight foot's a pretty decent sized person, but that's not really that big if you think about it. It's smaller than a car. Hovering above the ground behind the corral about four feet above the ground. The sun was setting behind me and I could see the horses were clearly distraught. I reached back inside the, and got my pellet gun. Pellet gun, come on, dude. Come on. What are you, I mean, come on. What are you going to do with a pellet gun? I looked across the corral again and all the horses were on the south side and the cigar-shaped object was to the north and it was hovering in a mist. I aimed and fired. I shot the cigar-shaped object and distinctly heard a ping as the pellet hit the object. Bam, just like that, the object climbed out and accelerated so fast that I almost did not see where it went. It shot across the yard towards the neighbor's house that was about 100 yards away. The only way that I saw where it went was through my peripheral vision. And I saw it, and I looked again, and I aimed at it. It was gone. Most people see flying saucers that look slightly cigar-shaped and hover side to side. But this was a cigar-shaped object that can be pictured more like a torpedo cigar. Stood on end, with a larger portion being higher in the air, and the tip towards the ground. Oh, okay, so it was vertical. That's interesting. It put off an odd vapor or mist that made it hard to focus on. But it was silverish in color and distinct enough to shoot. I went back to the house and looked west towards Satan Butte and saw the tip that was dropping tendrils of light towards the ground. So it just looked like it was dropping light off of the ground after he shot it with the pellet gun. That's crazy. At the time, my wife witnessed the spectacle, too. We took many pictures while the UFO was about two to three miles away. It appeared perfectly in my viewfinder. My wife had excellent eyesight. And while watching through our binoculars, she spotted a second UFO and pointed it out. It was hovering higher than the other one at great distance. Finally, he thought, I wasn't going to be locked up in the loony bin. Two witnesses and multiple pictures, all sent to MUFON and documented. Here's one of the pictures here. I don't know if you can see that. Honestly, it just looks like black with like a, a white smudge. It could be anything, but I don't doubt the story. I think he's telling the truth. But the picture really doesn't show any detail or anything specific that could be interesting. It's just black and white. But I do believe his story. The next morning, I sent pictures to MUFON and was called at my home within a few minutes. I got a call from a lady at MUFON. She asked to be interviewed that evening. And who was interviewed by a woman from Phoenix for about two hours. They were intrigued by the photos. They talked about it and exchanged numbers and got word that the Navajo Rangers were coming to talk to him. I don't know if you guys know about the Navajo Rangers, but these guys are awesome. They're pretty famous in the paranormal world. They, um, they've been investigating this stuff for a long time, and they do take it very seriously. He said he thought, yeah, right. The Navajo Rangers are coming to see me. He didn't believe it. He went down and checked the butte about three miles from the house, and sure enough, there were some feds at Satan's Butte. They were driving Navajo Ranger vehicles and were very personable. They stated that they were part of a special ops paranormal investigation group. It was a group of 16 rangers on the Navajo reservation. So was this actual federal government employees or was it, was it the actual Navajo Rangers who are part of the Navajo Nation? I wouldn't call them federal government. I think those are different things. So anyway, he says he started, uh, he pulled out his camera and wanted an interview with one of the rangers. He started off the interview complaining about cattle grazing on his cattle site without a permit. 
And the lieutenant chuckled and said, we both know we are not here about grazing cattle. He then told me about his special operations unit. They had investigated skinwalkers, witchcraft, paranormal, archaeology site, theft, and everything in between. They had the most modern versions of night vision, AR-15s, and satellite computers, and the list goes on. We talked for a good 20 minutes, and I learned that they ran my photos through some mega computer, and they were real. Oddly enough, the Nikon video, when transferred to my computer, died after I finished the initial introduction. Wiped completely clean. The hard drive of my IBM computer had never been recovered. Now, why would our government send out trained investigators to investigate? How could skinwalkers be tied to this sighting? On an interesting side note, the next evening, we had more skinwalkers visit our home than I care to remember. So that's interesting. He interviewed some of these special operations people who claimed to be from the Navajo Nation as Navajo Rangers. But when he got home to review the footage, everything was wiped clean. Now, is this a men in black type scenario? Maybe. Is this actual Navajo Rangers? Maybe. Or was this actual federal government people who are part of the deep state, who are part of the, who come from a deep underground military base, who are part of the secret UFO program, who knows all about the, the same people who have access to the crash Roswell craft and the same people who have access to all the UFOs they've found throughout the years, all the crashed UFOs and all the buried UFOs and all the ancient technology. It's probably the same group in my opinion. After heading over to Satan's Butte and meeting the officers, I went to Taylor to pick up a horse and headed back to Greasewood, Arizona, arriving approximately 11.45 p.m. As we drove down the driveway to our house, a skinwalker was in the driveway. I did not see it at first, but both my wife and Mary and her sister yelled at the same moment, and I felt nauseous. I knew I needed to unload three horses and settle our new horse, Tater Gun, into her stall. I hit the sack around 12.30, totally worn out. I woke up at 3.30 that morning and began to vomit. And the, other, and the other end let go at the same time. I was so sick. I went out and laid on the couch and had the oddest out-of-body experience. It was as if I was floating over my body, watching things enter, trying to tear at my soul. I was gasping for breath, and yet something kept projecting a vision of me lying naked, wrapped in a sheet with my hands folded across my chest, dead outside the patio. As I was coming out of the coma, for lack of better term, a huge snake came up the front window and said one of the neighbor's names in a snake hiss voice. I took this to mean that this was the person who sent the skinwalkers. As I came out, the snake retreated and the horses went absolutely nuts. The dogs began to howl and life again was normal on the reservation. That's crazy. So his neighbor sent a skinwalker to kill him after this UFO sighting? This is a crazy night. I mean, all so many things happened this one night for this guy, all because he decided to go to Best Buy and buy a Nikon camera. What is the moral of this story? We're not done with the story yet, but to me, the moral of the story is if you see something weird, don't go film it and don't go to Best Buy and get a camera so you can film it, so you can send it off, because you're just going to be inviting things to attack you. Or don't take my advice and uh, film it. Is this why it's so hard to get good videos of paranormal things online? Because, well, A, most of them are fake, but the real ones, things end up happening to the people who post them. 
that make it not worth them to post it? Because honestly, if your life is at risk, why would you post something like that? Right? Because we all know the paranormal is real. We know all these stories are real. We don't need proof. Oh, I mean, we don't need proof. Hearing the story is, is good enough. We don't need to see the pictures or see the videos. Although it, it is nice to see stuff like that every now and then. And I have seen videos and pictures of the things that I will be sharing on this channel at some point. So let's continue reading. An old medicine man came to me and asked if everything was okay the next evening. I related my skinwalker story. He explained that someone who hated me had sent them to kill me. But not just skinwalkers, the very demons that control these things. Demons, yeah, they're absolutely demons. I digress. When I finished telling the old medicine man my story, I, I grew very ill again and had to run for the bathroom. The Navajos are the Navajos are patient people. Aside from my wife, he added. And he waited till I come back, soaked in sweat and smelling like a dead cow. Take a shower, man. He instructed me on how to deal with what the demons had left in me. And I followed his advice, and for the first time ever, I felt better. He and I shared stories of aliens, his mother, and donkey mutilations. Well, that's interesting, because we've all heard of cattle mutilations. And now they're referring to donkey mutilations? I mean, it doesn't surprise me that they would mutilate more than one type of animal. But what other type of mutilations are there that we don't hear about? What about like small things like squirrels and rabbits? We would never notice because we see dead squirrels and rabbits all the time, right? They're just little corpses just rotting under some bushes or something. So cattle mutilations, donkey mutilations, what other type of mutilations are there? There is a strange story out of Brazil about a human mutilation that is a little bit too creepy to get into right now. So let's continue reading. He also said a sheep was mutilated and investigated by the rangers over near the summit of Satan's Butte. He became ill and he had to leave. He said, whatever had affected me was affecting him too. I know who has sent, I know who sent them and who paid for them to be sent. I know that in time they will be paid back with loss. Interesting side note. One Navajo ranger said to me, you have to have strong faith or you will be killed by witchcraft on the reservation. Exactly what the Bible says, actually. One friend said he saw many rangers and black op vehicles around our house that Friday night. I do have strong faith, and I know that once again my father saved me from the wickedness and folly of men. This is exactly what the Bible says, really. When you break it down, supernatural things like this do exist, and there is literally only one way to avoid them. And his name is Jesus Christ. This Justin from a friend who wishes to remain anonymous, but is a well-respected UFO researcher, quote, I just got done reading a book called The Hunt for the Skinwalker. On a side note, I've read that book. It's great. I recommend everybody read it. Hunt for the Skinwalker by George Knapp. Great book. And it really breaks down a lot of the phenomena that's happening, not only on Skinwalker Ranch, but this, these things are happening all over the place. It's just more reported on Skinwalker Ranch because of popularity and stuff like that. So check it out, Hunt for the Skinwalker. Uh, and he goes on to say, that is based on the paranormal case of Skinwalker Ranch, which is the Sherman Ranch, near Fort Duchesne, Utah. It's interesting similarities in cases, Satan Butte and Skinwalker Ranch. And both interesting cases were investigated by Robert Bigelow's investigative group in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, so Bigelow investigated Skinwalker Ranch, and he also investigated Satan's Butte. 
So these are two locations that are linked together through some paranormal chain, right? We don't really know the details of it, but I'm pretty sure some interesting revelations are going to come out soon. Another interesting fact that I determined is the case that Satan's Butte and Skinwalker Ranch lie on the exact same longitude, 109, 53 degrees, 15.91. So basically that's it. This is the rest of the book. The last few pages are just uh, email correspondence about the story I just read to you um, from the guy who saw the thing up on Satan's Butte to MUFON and back and forth, stuff like that. So, but there is some interesting pictures in the back and I'll, I'll show them to you guys real quick. Um, it doesn't really show anything crazy, but these are pictures of the event that kind of uh, give it more credibility, which I do believe this is true. I believe all this stuff is true. Um, so here are some pictures. All right, everybody, that was it. Skinwalkers, Shards Linger by Haas Lors. Great book. I believe it's all true. But what do you think? Do you believe these stories are true? Do you believe they're fake? I want to know what you think. I want to know your opinions. So if you haven't already done it, please let us all know. Let us know your opinions. Let us know what you think is real, what you think is fake. Put it in the comment section. And also, if you have stories of your own, if you've seen Skinwalkers, you've had encounters with them, if you have encounters with other stuff like this that are similar in nature, put it in the comment section too, because I want to read your stories. All right, everybody. Thank you all for watching this video. And until next time, God bless you all. Thank you.